This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek, show number 296, recorded on February 9th, 26, not 2016, 2017. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite Home Gadgets to find their way in the world. News, reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Carlson, broadcasting live from the Home studio here in a very, very chilly Bellevue, Nebraska, but they're saying like 60s and 70s by the weekend. So, hey, the snow, we got a couple inches of snow, it'll all be gone, so it'll be good to be living here in the Midwest. And of course, we post the show with world-class show notes each week out at theaverageguy.tv. You can also join us now live on our mobile app. If you haven't done that yet, you're on the road, whatever best way to travel we thank LastPass for their sponsorship of that. But head out to HomeGadgetGeeks.com, and uh, that's the subscribe page. Big buttons there you can download for Android or iPhone and listen to us on the road. That plays, by the way, after the fact as well. So if you, have, if you don't have an app, you don't want to do iTunes or Google Play Store or whatever those other, others are, we have an app for you. Head out to HomeGadgetGeeks.com, and we thank LastPass for their sponsorship of that app. We now have a Patreon link available for you as well. If you want to financially support what we're doing here at Home Gadget Geeks, there's a link right there on the homepage. Just head out to theaverageguy.tv or use theaverageguy.tv slash support. All right, we got a fun show ahead for you tonight. Emily is back, Emily Prokop. She is the voice behind what's going on at the story behind. She's joined us before back in the day. So if you go to theaverageguy.tv and search for her name, you can find the last time she was on. But Emily, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you on. You know, I dig your podcast. I talk about it all the time. It's one of my favorite <laughs> uh, to listen to. I'm a big history buff. One of the, uh, I have a Facebook group that I belong to called Forgotten Omaha here. About 40,000 people, and they're not all from Omaha, in this Facebook group. And all it is is posting pictures and stories about old buildings or the way things used to be or like some of that kind of stuff. And I and I love that. Tell us a little bit, how's, how are things going there at the story behind? And and I know you're currently in a Forrest Gump series. And so yeah. if people haven't listened to that, but like that movie, they might want to jump in. But uh, just give it, how are things going with story behind? It's good. You know, um, for anyone who hasn't listened to the show, I take a different everyday object, person or place and find out the story behind it pretty much from its conception or invention up to its impact now. And uh, yeah, this month of February, I'm doing what I call Forrest Gump February, where I've gone through the movie and I picked out historical and pop culture references from that movie. And I found out the story behind it. So I started with Nathan Bedford Forrest and the one today uh, from Thursday the 9th was on Dr. Pepper. So, <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. I love, I love doing this sort of trivia stuff. That's what I did. In my old podcast was trivia and history. So. No, it's good. I enjoy them. And uh, a lot of folks too. Uh, we got some feedback from our listeners who had said, Hey, love it. Cause I mentioned it a hundred <laughs> times probably. And yeah, your checks uh, in the mail, Jim. <laughs> I, yeah. You can, you get tons of free advertising from me, but <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's the power of having a great podcast. So, you know, from, from that standpoint, but I mentioned it, and one of our listeners uh, sent me a note. He goes, ooh, I really like it, but I want it to be longer. And I went, ding, the light came on, and I thought, why not have Emily back on, and we'll do some long versions. So tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about artificial intelligence. So that's coming up. we got the story behind that. And we've got the story, and I just got to do this, behind these silly keyboards. 
<laughs> Why would For anyone anybody, listening to the audio, it looks like he's playing a guitar, but with a yeah. keyboard. <laughs> so, if uh, yeah, I play my. What if what if you learn to type this way, where you, you know, strap the keyboard across your chest. Oh my gosh! The numbers. So left hand is the numbers, and then yeah. right right hand would be the letters. I I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody who was doing EDM, you know, where you could basically just press a button on the keyboard, they made it into a musical instrument so they could dance around. That would be amazing. <laughs> and That's a Bluetooth keyboard would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to talk about those too. We will say in a in, and I'm going to ask you, Emily. Maybe someday you'll do this. Uh, today is actually the birthday of the U.S. Weather Bureau, which I don't think very many people knew. So, uh, Ulysses S. Grant signed a joint resolution with Congress establishing the U.S. Weather Bureau on this day, 1870. Wow! Wow! So I I'm can't a imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine the sort of weather technology back then, like. Because it's it's gone back. Everyone's been trying to forecast the weather, and we're still kind of iffy on it. Yeah. If you think about it, well, most of the records uh, that we go back to when we think about our weather here in the United States go back to that original uh, formation of that bureau, the Weather Bureau. So if you think about, uh, you know, they'll say you don't see too many records from like 1850, right? It just uh, yeah. it's uh, with the, with the 1870s. You see those 1880s, 1890s. You see a lot of those records going back. But yeah, I can't imagine. You know, and you can't see the video, but I'm licking my finger, and, and then that's pretty much the weather <laughs> in 18. You know, it's gonna it's gonna rain today. Uh, yeah, or people's journals where they're like, oh, it was. So, I don't know why in the South they're in my head of just like, oh, it's so hot. You could just melt molasses on me, like you know. <laughs> that's how we know the weather. It was I know, hot. I know. Well, they had the farmer's almanac. And, right. Uh, yeah. I wonder what year. I wonder what year the farmer's almanac came started coming out. But you know what? I did. I did the farmer's did almanac in Classy Little Podcast, and I don't remember it. I did it because uh, oh, because they used to use it for toilet paper. That's why I looked it up. Was that was toilet paper before there was toilet paper? Was the farmer's was almanac. Toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they've there are some people who follow the uh, fa the farmer's almanac and say it's very very accurate, and you know they they have those things printed up well ahead a year ahead, and so you know I don't know with weather it's fifty fifty right, so you could be wrong. I mean you can't predicting weather is so hard, but uh, it, you know the 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 book is out. I I remember as a kid I used to enjoy reading it. I one of those things i love that kind of data and that kind of information so we yeah. uh we get one and, and they're enjoyable to read so didn't need it for the toilet paper but i read it i got <laughs> it for the reading i read it for the articles that's what i said <laughs> got it for the articles all right well let's talk a little bit and i said ai but we really kind of want to focus on on voice recognition right and so yeah. when we think about voice recognition today of course in the last couple years Voice recognition has really gotten popular with the Amazon Echo, with Cortana, which are both have to be very, very careful because they're both sitting here on my desk <laughs> waiting for me to say things. Uh, Google Now and what's coming out with the Google Home device. And there's other devices as well that are available. But, but Emily, let's dig in a little bit. We're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit on this. I'll let you start as we think about kind of the story behind voice recognition. Yeah, one of the things I found interesting was it's very much like teaching a child to talk. The history of it when it started in... 1952 with Bell Laboratories, they developed this machine that was the size of a room and it could only recognize the numbers zero through nine. And it wouldn't even talk back to you. It would blink a little light like, oh, if you say zero, it blinks zero times. If you say two, it blinks twice. You know, 
And they thought it was the greatest thing ever. They thought it was wonderful. <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. Um, yeah, exactly. And they called it Audrey, which stood for Automatic Digit Recognizer. And then after that, oh, IBM introduced the shoebox machine in 1962 that understood 16 English words. <laughs> so, you know, it's... It it's interesting you say 1962, the World's Fair. Like, yeah. when was the last time we thought about a World's Fair? You know, from, I know. And that was a big deal, right? It, I think one, maybe even one of the last world, the big World's Fairs that we had. But, um, and you think a whopping 16 words, there was probably a ton of effort that went into those 16. Yeah. Words. I was, I probably thought about it for this one or the one I just did talking about the World's Fair, where uh, I'm like, what? I wish we still had those, but I'm guessing CES is kind of, our generation's world's fair, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I yeah, don't but, think we do that much anymore. I don't think the, that, that yeah. fair, you know, the, the local fairs have kind of st are still going, but this idea of a world's fair, I don't think we're doing that anymore. No, we have, we're in new England. So we have what's called the Big E, and that one's pretty cool. That's a lot of, uh, they have one specific building for all these new wacky inventions. And then, it's a lot of horse shows and carnival rides, but <laughs> guys, guys, hawking pans. Yeah. So then you added a lot to this part of, of this with the seventies. Yeah. If you and want I, to talk about DARPA. Yeah, let's do that really quick. And DARPA is a really interesting uh, organization because eventually we're going to get the internet out of it. But the department of defense in the seventies really took advantage of this idea of speech recognition. Of course, everything that came and comes out of DARPA comes out of it for some kind of benefit for the military. So yeah. you know, in a lot of the things that we do, when you see these government agencies that they, you know, even going to space was a huge military exercise, right? It was to be able to launch ballistic missiles and sure we're going to get some science out of space, but, but DARPA really was an agency defense and DARPA of course stands for defense advanced research projects agency. And um, originally, though, started in 1958 as ARPA before they put the D on. They, maybe they were trying to hide the fact that it was a defense agency. <laughs> uh, like, created no, it's by for good. Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna do science, <laughs> not really. Um, so it was created by President Eisenhower for the purpose of forming an executive research and development projects to expand on the frontiers of technology and science. So out of this group was formed both the Air Force, which I didn't know before and the Department of Defense in a directive that of what's called 5105.15, which is something that's referred to a lot when we think about the formations of those two departments. I mean, it was authorized in response, and this is no, this isn't a, any secret, right? Authorized in response to the Soviet Union launching Sputnik. And so that caught the United States off guard uh, in, in our space program and was really the first visible evidence that the Soviet Union was, was starting to get ahead of us in technology. So the first director, Roy Johnson, he left a $160,000 management job at GE, which uh, by today isn't too bad of money, right? When we think about that, this is 1958, think about that, to take on the reins at ARPA for a whopping 18,000, right? Now, <laughs> in those days, 18,000, 1958, that's actually a pretty decent, I mean, you could have yeah. you could have done that. By the way, in 1968, my parents bought their first house, San Jose, California, Heart of the Silicon Valley for twenty-one thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Can you imagine? That? Can I can't imagine that? what it's worth now. Honestly, that's crazy. Well, yeah. It, recently, one point one million is in that neighborhood is what they sold for there in the oh, in the wow. Bay Area. But Herbert Hor uh, Her Herbert York, let's say from the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, which actually the high school I went to, we had students that would intern there, which is another kind of interesting connection to this. 
was hired as his uh, scientific assistant. So Johnson and York, uh, both for both big fans of space projects, uh, they were both big fans of space projects. But when NASA was later established in 1958, most of ARPA's funding was funneled to it, which is interesting. So they create ARPA to do these projects. They create NASA, and then they're like, just kidding, ARPA. We're going to send all your money to NASA uh, in response <laughs> to space. Right. That was that's really why all that money went there. And those guys eventually quit during the 50s, early early 60s. ARPA worked on national and worked on most major national issues, including space, ballistic missile defense, nuclear test detection. That was a big deal, by the way. We forget about that, that we spent millions of dollars putting putting um, these detectors in the ground that would measure and listen for nuclear blasts. That's all they did. Um, And so those guys would spend a lot of time. Uh, doing that. Of course, NASA grew up out of that program uh, later to create space shuttle. The, the agency was renamed DARPA in 1972 and made, um, made some amazing progress on information processing. So a lot of what we know today when it comes to computers and a lot of what we get when we think of artificial intelligence and some of these voice recognition pieces that we have really, really start during this period. And this is, Emily, this is a part I didn't know. I'm going to get really nerdy here on you here for just a second. But <laughs> But in 1972, uh, initially, the, the, the development of this thing called Multics, right? It stands for Multiplex Information and Computing Service. It, it was a mainframe time-sharing operating, uh, operating system that began at MIT as a research project in 1965. Um, it was an important influence on operating systems and actually is still a kind of a, the basis of around most of our modern, modern operating systems today are kind of built off that. So the Multic system was developed by a cooperation of Bell Labs, General Electric, and MIT. Those are some pretty well-known names if we think about those with DARPA supporting it and funding it uh, with, with an initial $2 million grant, which was a lot of money back then. So um, when we think about those early days, uh, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, when I think about that, most of the modern technology that we have that comes out of DARPA uh, when we think about the internet, when we think of things like hyperlink texts and the mouse and uh, uh, monitors, our current monitors that we have, uh, both the, the color ones. Remember, we had green ones at first, and then they were yeah. color, and now we have um, window windowing, so to speak, or the way we see windows. All of those were DARPA projects. And um, the we're shown at this, this event called the mother, in, if you're into tech at all, you have to Google this, the mother of all demos which was done in 1968 and previewed all these new technologies then that we're using now to connect to the internet. So some pretty amazing stuff when we think uh, about DARPA and what it did. And of course, later we would see um, DARPA influence both the development of both Apple and Windows computers, and then eventually make its way to the internet. Yeah, and what they did with uh, voice recognition was they created Harpy, which was a software that could finally understand more than a thousand words. And that was, and as you said, I mean, DARPA was responsible for that and responsible for all these other, the mouse, the hyperlinks, stuff like that. In the eighties, I think this is my favorite thing to find. And uh, I, in the notes, I had the link for the YouTube commercial for this doll that they named Julie. And it's, it's completely out of the eighties. It's so scary because it does recognize your voice it's supposed to be this doll that's so lifelike for the king who wants a doll well, that she responds to your voice. I'll throw um, the, I'll throw the picture of the doll oh. up on the screen there. And actually, not uh, very pretty, but 
interesting early 80s uh, already trying to put this kind of information in you know of course we had some movies like war games and yeah. some of those things that were previewing some of this voice voice recognition it's <laughs> not scary until you watch her talk you know and then you see her talk and you're like this is where you know the, the idea for was it what was the chucky movie child's play no no but that was definitely it you don't want your you don't want your toys listening to your voice and then you know i say that now but then there's furby and <laughs> well I have echo and some of those so one thing i wanted to note about uh voice recognitions is the machines aren't actually recognizing whole words they're recognizing the smallest elements of spoken words and they're known as uh phonemes so putting them together within the software to determine what word you're most likely saying. It's basically a guessing game that the computer is doing. Phonemes are the elements such as vowel sounds or something that podcasters are familiar with called plosives, like the P or the T sounds. That's why you'll see a pop filter over a microphone to kind of dull those sounds down. But the plosives for them, they were important, right? When we yeah. thought that each of the sounds it was making, the computer was looking for each one of those and then trying to, and this is actually why they had so much trouble with it in the early days is that they were trying to glue these words together or kind of guess these words going along. And so the 80s was, they spent a lot of time trying to figure this out and made some good progress, but it wasn't until the early 90s that we really made, that they it really took off. So spend a little time, Emily, talking about that. Yeah, there was a company called Dragon in 1990. They introduced the first speech recognition program, and that was available to anybody who had $9,000 to buy it. <laughs> but it would type what you were saying. So as the technology improved, it became a little bit more affordable and seven years later came Dragon Naturally Speaking. The program could recognize 100 words per minute, but the average rate of speaking is about 163. So you would have to say a word, pause, say another word, pause again. And then this was also after the initial setup where you had to go through with the program and it took 45 minutes for it to recognize your voice or your speaking pattern. So you kind of had to spend some time with this to make, to make it learn how you talk. And I've heard that's how, I don't know if you remember how Siri used to be. A lot of people with accents would complain about Siri in the beginning. And now they don't really have a problem with Google Home or Alexa recognizing those different accents. Yeah, well, I think I think processing speed is caught up, and I think, of course, the technology is caught up as well. Um, uh, Mark was saying, yeah, the painful of dragging yeah. was incredibly difficult. And I remember in the 90s just thinking, oh, we're, we're so close. There had been some movie <laughs> games and some of the other ones where we, I was like, oh, we got to be so close, and we could not have been any farther away. Those programs were still pretty difficult, and they do some cool stuff, but never delivered i don't think they ever really delivered on the promise and and i think in some cases it's hard because we're still not used to talking to things i mean even with some of today's modern stuff it's difficult but um so dragon dragon dictate right which i think is still around right and yeah it's it's still around and i found out um a science fiction writer peter david he's known for writing comic books and uh including star trek comic books which was kind of the the discussion we had leading to this episode like oh the things from star trek that were only seen as science fiction back then that we now have that technology but he began using dragon dictate back in 2012 after his stroke 
so we see Dragon Dictate, and after that, I think as we head into the middle 90s, Bell South, right, uh, yeah. is, is going to introduce this. And I think for a lot of people, um, I, Emily, I was in the banking industry in these days, and of course, oh, and now that I'm now that I said this, I'm forgetting IVR technology <laughs> that came along, where you remember you used to call the bank and you could punch in transactions and get them to send payments and all those other yeah. kinds of things. And then we started seeing um, we started seeing speaking services become available. Emily, that was 1996. I mean, that seems yeah. like it should have been like 1980. I mean, doesn't that I seem know. Yeah, that was when Bell South introduced Val, which was voice activated link. Probably the most common use of Val that everyone remembers is the movie phone guy because of Seinfeld. And <laughs> just, hi, welcome to movie phone. And that voice is so recognizable. You know, he was still around until maybe Oh, like, I think it was 2010, something like that. They still had mo the movie phone guy. <laughs> yeah, and not many people. I mean, I think with the advent of, uh, you know, of our current smartphones, uh, a lot of that stuff has gone away. But that was that wasn't that long ago. You know, 20 some years ago, we're talking, you know, we're talking about that in, in July of 1996 of that year. And you remember in 96, the Internet is just coming online for some people, right? This is yeah. CompuServe and AOL for most people. You know, we have dial-up modems that sounded terrible. And, and you know, we're, we're thinking like, again, because we've been, we've been told in movies, this is going to be the coolest thing ever. And it's still really slow. And those aren't great services. And, and, and it's I, like, Mom, get off the phone. She'd disconnect you from your friends. Yeah. Check my mail. <laughs> Right, uh, <laughs> but PR Newswire in a, in a PR uh, Newswire press release, they said this: customers shopping for a car will be able to tell Val the make and model they're looking for, as well as for the estimated price range using the Auto Trader magazine classified advertising listings for Central Florida as a database. Val will search for automobiles matching the customer's preferences. Al will also give search results verbally. Or if customers prefer written in written form, this I love this. Wait for it via fax. <laughs> yeah. Customers looking for a restaurant will be able to will be able to tell Val the cuisine they want, the price range, the general location. Val will search the real estate yellow pages, interesting database, for information <laughs> for restaurants fitting the customer's preference. That's Yelp, right? This is just think of this. This is the early days yeah. of right this is the Yelp. Wall. Once Val had enough information, of course, based on customers' comments to narrow the list of choices to five or fewer, Val will read out the matching listings. Val will also offer restaurant guide callers the options of connecting directly to the restaurant of their choice. Interesting that we really see the early days of Yelp and, and internet search, right? We just do this on the internet today, but this early Val for voice recognition was really the way to do it. It had its heyday, Emily. I, I, I remember thinking about in these days and I worked, um, was I working for the bank? I think I was. And I worked even in our customer assistance department and wondering, you know, hey, will this be the future of banking? It did not last very long. <laughs> well, we had a newspaper by us. We're in Connecticut. We had the Connecticut Post and they had um, something with Val where you could call it up and, you know, you could get the movie times, but you could also get the weather forecast. You could play games with it. It was you know, I, I'm not going to say I was a dorky kid, but I played with that a lot. <laughs> so being able to talk and getting a spoken word response was the piece of technology that really got us, that really pushed us to keep moving. But did you ever notice that many of the computer voices, such as navigation software or Siri, 
and the new voice activated assistants use female voices, which I always, I, I didn't notice really, but that was actually intentional. If you think back to the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey or War Games or the autopilot computer voice from WALL-E, they're all kind of not great characters and they're voiced by men. So apparently we're more comfortable having a female computer voice instead of a man's voice, <laughs> instead of a menacing male voice. Well, and there was that that voice for uh, Knight Rider, right? Um, yeah. Kit oh, that was William Daniels? Was it? Yeah. It was. Yeah, I yeah. think. And of course, it's interesting because we, we saw in the 90s and the 80s and 90s that the male voice. And then when we actually started using it, moved to female. Although, Emily, on your phone, I've uh, I've noticed a lot of women have changed because you can change, right? You can change. Yeah. A lot of women have changed that over to a guy. So from your standpoint, is it you stick? Are you sticking with the lady or are you going with the guy? I think, you know what I did on my old phone and I haven't done it with this one on my old phone. I changed it to a British guy. So I really liked that. And I made him so slow. I made him very slow talking. So he would say, you know, good morning to you. And I'd be like, okay, that's nice. <laughs> but no, and on my phone now, I think I have it as British, but I didn't slow it down or turn it to a male. <laughs> yeah, kind, kind of soothing, I think. And, and it's also, there's another good story behind uh, why do Americans prefer, right, for those kinds of things, a British accent? Like, why is that? Because we do, right? Because <laughs> we know they're smarter than us. I don't know that there's just that air of, no, no, I know so much better than you. I'm like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> what other um, what, what other things when we think about what had showed up in that era? You had mentioned war games. Uh, any more on that? This was when I was doing my research. This was the rabbit hole I went down. If you do a Google search for the war games line of shall we play a game, the first result you get is a tic-tac-toe game that you can play with Google. And I played it. And the only and when I finally stopped, it was when I beat it. So I was like, oh my God, I beat Google. Like I feel like I, I need to retire now and <laughs> never do anything else and just have on my resume, I beat Google at tic-tac-toe. How long do you think you played before you beat Google? I, I think it was 10 games. I'm gonna go with about 10 games because we tied for the most part. That he never well, Google, he or she never beat me. So well, you had mentioned uh, Hal as well, right? And yeah. Hal in that movie, the Hal 9000 coming out in the 2001 A Space Odyssey. And you went, you sent me down a, a rabbit hole. And I know there's... <laughs> I see that. For, for that. And so did you, this is kind of, did you know there were some strange things that happened around the 2001 A Space Odyssey movie? So according to Arthur C. Clarke and Stan, Stanley um, Krubick, I can never pronounce his last name. Uh, he got an insurance policy from Lloyd's of London to protect himself against losses in the event an extraterrestrial intelligence was discovered before the movie was released. <laughs> refused. The total footage shot for some was some 200 times the final length of the film. So imagine all that film that was out there. The working title was Voyage Beyond the Stars, right? When it first came out, the Fantastic Voyage was released. Um, Stanley reportedly so disliked that film that he did not want the film to sound anything like it. Uh, in the end, 2001 was chosen as the first year of both the 21st century and the third millennia. So pretty, pretty interesting. Emily, did you think, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I used to think about the year 2000 a lot. Um, probably not. You were probably still too young, but I remember thinking I would be 32 
<laughs> how, how old are you in the year 2000? Can I ask? Is that okay? Um, well, in 2001, I graduated high school because okay. that was my graduating year. And my mom was convinced that like our class song should be the song from 2001. And I'm like, I don't think we want that. <laughs> I don't think that's a good dun, idea. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun. <laughs> I, I think we had vitamin C though. So I kind of wish like, oh, come on. <laughs> I do find that 2001, the movie was nothing like when we think about, I think we've, we've always overestimated that what we could do in movies versus what we yeah. could actually do. And so we weren't anywhere close. Although I think, Today, we have some cooler technologies that we, in some other ways, that weren't, you know, you go back and watch those old movies, especially when they're made in the 70s, and they try to predict the future. Like, remember the old Star Trek, you know, yeah. old Star Trek, and Spock was clicking these buttons, you know. Yeah. We're going to talk about that here in a second. but Yeah, maybe we just wanted the buttons. I think that's what we wanted more than anything else. Response of the buttons. And I remember even one time on Star Trek, they were going back in time and it was this old clock. It might as well have been an analog clock with hand. <laughs> it was so terrible, right? When you think about those things. But uh, interesting fact, no dialogue in the first 25 minutes of the movie, uh, ending with a stewardess speaking at minute 2538, nor in the last 23 minutes, excluding the end credits. These are two lengthy sections and other shorter ones. There's only around 80, or there's, there is around 88 dialogue-free minutes in the movie. Imagine making a movie, 88 minutes, no dialogue. So it's a... You know what? Wally did that. The first part of it, there was no dialogue of Wally. I don't think it was 25 minutes, but it was a good chunk of the first half where you're just watching him kind of do his little robot thing, and maybe he was making beeps and... Yeah, there was no dialogue in that one either. And that's that's kind of why like people have talked about the little comparisons between the two movies. Mm -hmm. Also, the HAL 9000 never once said, good morning, Dave, despite the line being one of the most recognized quotations. I love those. I love when people quote things wrong. And I'm like, no, they never said we're going to need a bigger boat. They said, you're going to need a bigger boat. I love that. <laughs> yeah. one, of the, uh, one of the last great lines in there, too, aside from the film's music, no sound is heard in space sequences. If you huh. watch this, it's deathly quiet during space sequences because there's no sound in space, right? And so Stanley uh, wanted to make sure that it was accurate from that standpoint. And so if you ever watch that movie, it's eerily, I mean, quiet when they're out in space. There's no there's no music, there's no background noise, no clickety clacks of the keyboard <laughs> when they're in space. I'd like to think David Bowie plays in space though. I'd like to think that. <laughs> or Elton John, right? That yeah. Be. Uh, Emily, let's wrap up this uh, as we think about some of the new, so we're, we're, we're all the way up to, I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of our listeners know what we're up to, but let's wrap up with that last little piece. Yeah, so uh, now the voices of voice activating assistants like Amazon or Google, they're synthesized. They're not actually a real person speaking. And But Siri on our phones is still a, there's still a real person behind the voice of Siri. And her name is Susan Bennett. She was a voice actor from Atlanta who took a job in 2005 recording different phrases four hours a day for a month for an unknown project from a software company called Scansoft. And when her colleagues began playing with Siri in 2011, 
they recognized her voice. And she was just a surprise because she had no idea what they were going to do with this clip. She hadn't heard anything about it. And Apple won't confirm that it's her. But she's even said in articles, she's like, yeah, if Siri ever sounds aggravated with you, that was at the end of my shift talking. <laughs> you know? <laughs> He just got kind of sick of talking and and got a little frustrated uh, with it. What's interesting, yeah. uh, Amazon also this week, uh, actually last week, uh, updated their units to respond to the wake word. I don't know if you guys know this of computer. So if you're a big fan of Star Trek and Next Generation, you know there's a little meme because Riker always looks up and to the right, always and says computer, and uh, is he's, and so of course. This delighted Star, Star Trek fans everywhere. Now, I tried to dig in. I must not have had the right software update because I tried to dig in and change my Echo. Yeah, it's a drop-down menu thing, I think, that you can change it to computer. Yeah, you've got, you got to go in the app and change it to, to computer. So so there you go. There's a, there's our first run. Emily, what do you think? Our first run at a story behind AI or a, a story behind voice recognition. What do you think? How do we do? It's weird having a chat room there. I'm just like, oh my god, that's instant feedback. I don't know. I don't know how I like that because I like being in my confined space of just like, oh, nobody hears me mess up. It's fine. It is there different. Was a, yeah, there there was one episode. I couldn't say the word cavalry, and I have just two minutes of me saying Calvary, f word, Calvary, f word, Calvary, f word, like. I couldn't get it out. <laughs> it's different. It's a different. It's a different world going. I don't know how you guys do it recorded without live. I mean, I kind of thrive on the live, but I've been doing <laughs> the in the chat room. They're saying Scotty, my favorite one. I think it's Star Trek three or four. He picks up the mouse and and says computer. He tries to talk to the mouse, and then the guy <laughs> says, like, don't you need to use the? This is in the eighties, right? And so, <laughs> so he goes, oh, a keyboard. How quaint and. You know, <laughs> So I was thinking that there's a plot hole in there. Like, if he's always talked to a computer, when did he learn to type? And you would think by that yeah. 24th century, the 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 keyboard, that, that part of the keyboard, we're going to talk about this here in just a second, but that keyboard would be gone, right? So yeah. would he really, and then he, in the movie, of course, he types super fast. And, you know, he's just ripping through, blah, 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 and he's writing the code for, what was it? Transparent aluminum, I think, or something like that, which was, which was really, yeah. So Drashna says that was Voyage Home. Oh, which was six. Voyage Home. The Voyage Home, which was six. They have to get a whale. It was in the days when we were all worried about the whales. <laughs> Save the whales. But I, I, I never could figure that out. I was like, hey, a guy who's never typed before, just because he lives in the future, does that mean he can type really fast? Somehow, maybe that's a skill everybody knows. So Probably. That's probably what they taught them back in first grade was typing skills because my daughter's not going to learn cursive like I had to learn. She's going to learn to type. Yeah. Are they learning? Are they, do they, have to, they call it keyboarding, right? Yeah. She, well, she knows how to use a mouse. They have some computer programs in her class where it's like, oh, go to this website and play this game. And I'm watching her use a mouse, not even just a mouse. She's using the touchpad on my Chromebook. And I'm like, man, that took me forever to learn was the touchpad. I didn't get it till I was a week. We actually had typewriters. So when I, I'm, just, I'm dating myself, but we actually, I'm getting my keyboard. I'm getting my, my what do we Keytar. call it? Keytar. <laughs> Getting my keytar ready. It's too bad. You got to watch the video on this one. I'm getting my keytar ready. <laughs> but um, we, when I was uh, when I was in high school, so 82, this would have been 1982, I was a freshman. We had IBM Selectric 
keyboards or uh, typewriters at that point. And it wasn't even until hmm, I started college in 93 that I got my first laptop. And it wasn't even a laptop. It was a brother word processor that looked like a laptop. <laughs> I couldn't afford a computer at that point. But Emily, we, uh, we want to shift into the next story. Yeah, we'll use the shift key to do that on the keyboard. Uh, shift into the uh, almost uh, like yeah. that way. Uh, we want to think about <laughs> that. Sorry, it's incredibly nerdy. We want to talk <laughs> behind. I'm typing on. I I only have one of these because my son bought two of them, and he he didn't like. Um, you would you'd bought something on it at Amazon. Uh, that's kind of like this a keyboard. It, yeah. shows, it shows. Can you show? It's that? called. Yeah, it's. I have to look at the box. It's called a Cherry MX Switch Tester. And what it is, is I'll hold it up to the camera. These different keys have different resistances to them. So some are more clicky than others. And then some are softer. And these are for people, especially gamers. They're very much into their keyboards. They want their keyboards to feel a certain way or sound a certain way. And this is for them to test out the different, I guess, um, the switches, so that before they buy a computer, they'll know exactly how it feels, how it sounds, because some of those uh, keyboards are $200, $300. So it's not like you really want to buy one and maybe you can't return it for some reason. You want to make sure you're getting exactly what you're paying that money for. So they have these switch testers, which was really cool. My husband sent me the link. Uh, he was the one who came up with this idea. and. Um, yeah, Drashna in the chat said, loves his cherry mix brown keyboard. It feels like an old IBM. That was the thing. That's one of the things we'll get into with the mechanical keyboard. In 1714, uh, an Englishman named Henry Mill, he filed a patent for an artificial machine or method for impressing or transcribing letters uh, singly or progressively one after another. And we're not sure maybe he had the idea for for a typewriter, just not the invention, but it wasn't until the 1870s that a typewriter, which was known as the writing ball, was invented. And it was this ball of keys that went over the paper. So instead of an actual flat keyboard, it was just a ball and you kind of had to press all around it to get, get it to ink on the paper. And then a few years later, Remington's Scholl and Glidden typewriter was introduced by Christopher Scholl's and that was more like the old-fashioned typewriters that we're probably more familiar with, except that the words were typed onto paper that was under the carriage. So you couldn't necessarily see what you were typing until it was complete, and they lifted the carriage. That's so stupid. I know. <laughs> they didn't think about it, you know? <laughs> like, like I, I read that. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever <laughs> Like, how, how would you, I mean, you know how, much, how often you mess up typing and oh, you yeah. looking at it? So it certainly gets improved. Keep going. Yeah, uh, but that typewriter specifically um, introduced the QWERTY keyboard that we know now. And if you ever wondered why keyboards were set up in this letter configuration on computers even today, it was from the typewriter days where they tried a few other keyboard layouts, but Scholz was looking at common combination of letters to make sure letters were that were commonly typed together weren't too close because the keys... They didn't want the keys to jam when being typed. 
Yeah, and that's actually a mechanical thing. Like most people, some folks listening to this show remember some of those old manual typewriters. Mm -hmm. And we had some, um, the late 70s, early 80s. And they were, you know, they were arms that would swing up with type. And if you did, if you got going really fast, you would jam those suckers up, (laughs) stop, pull them back, you know, pull them down. And so that they, they kind of knew that was going to happen. And so QWERTY, which is not the most efficient, there have been more efficient keyboard styles that have been laid right. out. But Emily, I don't think we can ever move at this point. I mean, moving no. away from a, in or, at least in, at least in the, in, in, you know, the, uh, the English world, moving away from QWERTY, man, that'd be like America going on the metric system. Yeah, it really would. That, that's a great comparison because we can't, especially how quickly even though in the long run we'll be quicker and more efficient at typing that whole, I don't know, year or two years of dealing with that change is going to slow us down so much. Let, let me talk about this really quick. So IBM in the fifties came up in really the Selectric, right? The IBM Selectric became mm-hmm. kind of the standard by which all of the typewriters and actually I would have thought IBM would have invented the keyboard. They didn't. We'll find that out here a little bit later when we think about the modern keyboard and the way we see it in computers. But um, many of you who've typed on those or on older Selectrics know the little the little ball that we go back to the ball and that stopped the jam and they'd have these quick, you know, and move around and, and that ball would move around. That to me was as a kid was mesmerizing. Church <laughs> had this typewriter and I used to put paper in it and just mess around on it because I love to watch that ball move around yeah. um, on there. And of course, we always have to think the problems that we had with ribbons, un- unbelievable, right? We'd have to put these, we'd buy these ribbon cartridges and put them in there. And, they'd and have your hands were like top. gross at the end. Yeah. Remember they had the red on the top yeah. and, and then, and then sometimes you had a key that would, would, you could white out, right? It would pop up a white yeah. out thing and you could type over that. Unbelievable that we, how did we ever live through that? <laughs> like, well, I remember our first electric typewriter and freaking out being like, Oh my God, this is going to change my world, you know? And <laughs> yeah, let's, so, so certainly the typewriter is the, you know, is really the device that brings it as we think about getting to computers. But let's talk a little bit about it, the way those keyboards then translate into the computer era. Oh, so in the early days of computers, you know, not only did they take up the entire room, there wasn't the traditional keyboard that we think of today. And what they used was a teletype, which was used to communicate information to the computer. And it was this card and someone would use the teletype to punch holes in a card. It was about the size of an index card. And then they'd insert it into a card reader, which would then read it as data. So the Binac computer, which came out in 1948, used an electromagnetically controlled teletype to input the data. And this was the model on which today's keyboard and computer connectivity was based. My so- my dad has some stories. He worked for IBM in the 50s, 60s of them, you know, with key punch, with key, you know, a lot of programs in those days as well were built uh, kind of using that card system. And the guys in accounting would build a, you know, they would build payroll this way, take it down and run it through the system. And one day, one of the guys dropped the box. With, oh, no. And, and it was, it mattered what order they were in and all yeah. the cards went everywhere. He said it was such a mess. <laughs> took him, took him almost a full day to put those cards back in order. <laughs> yeah. My husband, Mark, was telling me that his parents both worked with teletype machines making those cards. I'm like, oh my God, that's incredible. Like, cause I've never seen a teletype machine or the cards until doing the research and even looking at the codes for different things. I mean, that's something you could make 
a little kid's code out of a, a kid could find that and be like, Oh, I'm making a secret code. No one's going to know what it means. Yeah, no, right on. You could, you, you could look at them that you can't tell what they are. No. Sure. So when computers started becoming more available with screens that could display what was being typed, programmers made their own keyboards piece by piece. And the personal computers made in the 1970s did come with their own keyboards, but those were more like switches on the front panel. It wasn't so much a flat keyboard. And IBM also sold converted electric typewriters to those who wanted the separate keyboards. But since it was more programmers who bought the computers and the idea of every home having its own computer at the time was laughable, many just converted their own electric typewriters or built their own second keyboard specifically for data entry. Yeah, we've got to remember in these days that the, there's just a handful and a little more than that. But Computers were hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, to put together. <laughs> and the idea of a personal computer, even up until 1977, when Apple first kind of comes out, and we have to remember those early Apple computers so um, were built into their case. So when you think about the Apple II series and later the Apple III series systems, these first keyboards uh, had chocolate brown keycaps. That's uh, Drashna mentioned that earlier, with, yeah. white, uh, with white legends on that. The Apple II and the Apple III keyboards also had 52 keys, and the Apple III keyboard, which included a numeric pad, had some other additional keys. It had 74. In 1983, the new Apple IIe and the Apple II, that's actually the Apple IIe is the very first computer that I learned to program on, and the Apple III Plus models introduced a beige keyboard with a smaller black legend. At the same time, Apple introduced its first separate keyboards with the Lisa. That is so crazy. I, did, I kind of forgot in those early <laughs> days, the keyboard was built into the computer, right? So yeah. you the computer in the case, and in the in the case was the keyboard. Right? <laughs> so with Lisa came that very first separate uh, keyboard. It was incorporated with a numeric pad, um, and it had, a lot, it had lighter colored keycaps. It was connected via a unique TRS port. Of course, Apple couldn't do anything standard, so it was their own unique. The Macintosh updated uh, to look somewhat and separated the optional numeric keypad from the alphanumeric unit, all of which was connected by a telephone-style modular cables. So in the late 70s and early 80s, we're kind of still struggling on what we're going to come with. So by 1986, the Macintosh Plus reintegrated the numerical keypad and became the standard for all successive keyboards. So Mac kind of sets that standard for us. However, it's also marked by the last beige Apple II era designs, which were uh, usurped by the newer Snow White. You remember those Snow White designs? <laughs> remember those computers? They would come out, they'd be white, and they would fade, and people would smoke around them, and they'd go fade. <laughs> I thought that was just their color, honestly, because I, I would see them and be like, yeah, that's just their color. People apparently liked that off-white, dirty beige color back then. <laughs> It, it was interesting because in the, let's see, when would this been? 2007 or so? I, no, it would have been 90s. Hold on. Yeah, 97. Sorry, 10 years before that. In 97, 98, I worked at a computer store and we would buy and sell computers. And when I started uh, working there, computers were $2,000. When I stopped working there a year and a half later, they were $200. Remember AOL? <laughs> yeah. AOL came around and started subsidizing the PC. And you could buy a PC for $200. In some cases, if you signed up for AOL for a year or two, I think it's maybe two years, you could get your computer for free. And that, that's just crazy to think. Was, that that's really drove down the, the price of a PC. But it was really Apple who kind of really set, in the early days, who kind of set the standard 
uh, for keyboards. And we're going to talk a little bit about here. I'm going to, well, I'll let you jump in here in the middle, Emily, and then we'll talk about how IBM jumped in and changed things. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with IBM keyboards, the early ones, they were known as the Model M and the Model F. And these were introduced in the 1980s, starting with the Model M in 1984. And Back then, they were the keyboards with that clicky sound, and that's known uh, as the buckling spring. In each, there's a spring in each key that you press down, springs back up. It makes that sound, and it gives users a tactile and audible feedback. And then in the 90s, the lighter, quieter, and cheaper keyboard was introduced using cheap rubber domes and and membranes instead of a spring and some plastic to it. Yeah, I think important to remember when we think, because it's important, the, the history of the keyboard follows along what we're doing with the PC. And so in 1980s, um, IBM, of course, came out with their PS2, and it was just kind of a disaster, to be honest. It sold quite a bit, and it became a standard, right? The third generation released in 1987, the, the PS2 for what we know, that's really kind of the best known. It's before it, the IBM PC introduced in 1981, the 5150, which is also a famous, uh, doesn't um, Sammy Hagar have an album or is that Van Halen? <laughs> I didn't even think of that. I wonder, that's, I wonder if that's based on that. But that generic term, personal computer, was used before 1981. It was applied as early as 1972 to the Xerox. And, of course, our computer folks know, like, uh, both Apple and IBM ripped off just about everything it did. Oh, yeah. Right? From Xerox Park. Yeah. We'll go back to that mother of all. We mentioned it earlier, that mother yeah. of all demos that we talked about when we talked about voice recognition a lot. There's a, there's a podcast. It's called Liar City. They have a whole episode about Apple and um, IBM ripping off Xerox Park. It's a great, great episode. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why they didn't secure those down better from a from a patent or from a. Do you know? Yeah, because Xerox didn't think that it was going to do anything. They were like, no, we just want copiers. That's what people want. They don't want a mouse. They 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 don't want you know this keyboard technology. They want copiers. You know these computers are just a fad. So Steve Jobs is like, oh. Let me just come on in. Let me just look at stuff. I just want to look at stuff. And then like, bam, next, all of a sudden, Apple had a mouse and all their technology was. And it's all over, right? Yeah. At that point. yeah. So, um, so that's 81 with the, with the very first kind of what we think is the PC in March of 83, they came out with the XT and a lot of enthusiasts uh, purchased an XT. I think that's kind of the early entry for a lot of folks and they're apart from a hard drive is essentially the same as the original PC. Now that hard drive was not very big, right? The, this XT came with minor improvements. Uh, it came with 128K of RAM, 360K uh, double-sided five and a quarter inch floppy disk drives. Pretty awesome. <laughs> a whopping. And I've seen some of these in our group, by the way, the ads for these. 10 yeah. megabyte Seagate 412 hard drives. Those. Those hard drives were expensive. I was gonna say just for <laughs> just for ten megabytes, that's got to be probably a few hundred dollars right there. Yeah, they were <laughs> I, maybe a few thousand when they first. Oh. <laughs> I had one in the garage for a while. They literally they're this big. I mean, they're the old five and a quarter inch size, and mm -hmm. so it fit that it could it could fit that bay. They were big and you think about it, ten megs. It was awesome though. For the first time ever, you could transfer your program from the floppy 
onto the hard drive and it was so much faster that way. And so by, by 1984, the ATs were coming out. So just a year later, IBM was making massive improvements in those days. The eighties are the heyday for the PC and IBM and was a little bit of the reason why, and market power was, was associated with this as well, but a little bit of the reason why the PC became IBM, what we say IBM compatible because IBM moved very, very quickly, had a lot of money to throw at this, by the way, they were making tons of money on their mainframes. And so they were able to support the mainframe technology uh, or I would should say the mainframe technology really supported what was going on in PCs. We still weren't buying very many in the 80s. I mean, the PC would really wouldn't take off until late 80s, early 90s. But um, later on then, when we think about keyboards, so that AT, it, very, very interesting. It was designed around a six, <laughs> I almost laugh when I wrote this down, six, <laughs> a six, one letter, or one number, six megahertz, Intel 8286 <laughs> microprocessor, right? I mean, we have, the phones are 10 times more powerful. Uh, than, than that these days. An 84 key, and this is really where the keyboard that we see today really gets standardized when we think about an IBM keyboard, right? The AT keyboard layout. Now, for you computer guys that have been around a while, and I remember some of this, PS2 has not been the way it's been forever. And, and even for you younger, a USB, right? That's all you remember. The five pinned in, it was literally this big, yeah. right? Big circle. Emily, have you ever seen one of those? Big yep. five yeah. Um, looks like a MIDI connection, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and I think in the early days, you could get those kind of mixed up. But 101 keys, integrated numeric keypad with a numbers lock. And they also came with faulty 20 meg hard drives. They were kind <laughs> of a disaster. Uh, PC-DOS 3.0 was released uh, when it, to support the ATs um, when they were out there. By 1986, of course, we saw the very first laptops coming. <laughs> they weren't laptops. They were heavy. If you had a big lap, you could do it, but it was definitely, you You didn't want to bring that anywhere with you. <laughs> no, they were hot. They were a suitcase, <laughs> right? I mean, they were um, they were just pretty big, but it really ushered in those, those laptops, that architecture, right, that we really began to see. Now, what was a shame is IBM created all these standards in the PS2 that they, well, that's not actually, that statement's not true. IBM created all these standards and then they went against them in the PS2 and the rest of the industry. What we see today, like the modern bus and uh, in, in a lot of the standards, serial ports, PS2, uh, the, the PS2 ports that became later became available. A lot of those things that were standard by IBM, IBM never followed. And the PS2, I had to work on it, was a terrible computer to work on. It was just <laughs> awful. But it did have that keyboard. Yeah. That made the magic sound. <laughs> yes. The clicks that we love. Yeah. So the PS2, many of the PS2 innovations, such as serial ports, the 1.44 uh, megabyte, three and a half inch floppy disk format, the 72 pin SIMS, and the PS2 keyboard and mouse ports, all of that, including VGA, came out. We can kind of thank the, 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 that era of PCs. All that stuff came out. One of the things that did come out that we'll never see again is OS2. So <laughs> that was IBM worked on their own. A lot of people don't know IBM worked on their own operating system. It came on this, but these were the early days of Windows. And uh, Microsoft did some things with the providers, with the PC providers of the day to give away or to include Windows, which today we think every modern PC comes with Windows. In that day, I remember it was a big, it was a big deal when Windows 3 came out and it was included in the PC that you got and really led to the dominance of Microsoft in that space. My first computer came with Windows 95 and I was like, oh, thank God I don't have to buy anything. And then it's like, oh, well, don't you want Microsoft Word? And I'm like, oh, come on, really? 
You can't just give that to me. <laughs> nope. nope. No. Microsoft no. make a lot of money on that. But by the time, Emily, by the time we get to this point, let me bring this one up. <clears throat> yeah. We're, we're at these kind of keyboards, right? Which yeah. People strong. missed people yeah. missed um, the, the clicky response after we got quieter, lighter keyboards. And um, as I mentioned, PC gamers uh, have become a real aficionados about their keyboards and they can range in clickiness factors that's why i showed the um the switch tester and you might wonder why people want that you know why would people want something louder but it's actually if it's harder to press the keys it actually you make fewer mistakes uh you're more efficient and they're actually the you know they're more robust they're easier to clean they're longer lasting than kind of the cheap just you know thin quiet keyboards we have now and you know it's even with uh the quiet keyboards even on my laptop i'm known for being a hard typer because i kind of need that tactile response just so i know i'm not screwing up because normally i'm not looking at my hands i'm looking at the screen or whatever i'm trying to type so i i love the clickiness i'm glad other people do too when i learned about that I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the clickety clack. I'll be honest with you. I hear the kids <laughs> playing on it. It well now part of this is now uh, and where you're this is a little different the way we do podcasting. You do it non live and you don't you're not yeah. looking up things and so for me you know uh, I'm actually I'm actually surprised Google ha see Google has this thing if it hears you type it mutes you. Really, and I'm actually surprised. That. Not that's weird that it's not muting me, but. Huh. This this sound, of course, you hear it, right? You can easily hear it podcasting. And so long ago, and this is for my for my Windows friends, this is blasphemy, but well, I can't really show it. Do I have one? Oh, I've got one right here. Right underneath my taxes. So this standard keyboard from from Apple, right? This is kind of their this is kind of their standard keyboard now. Uh, yeah. it's a really good keyboard, but it has that chiclet style, right? And these are super quiet, right? There's just a little sensor. Yeah, I push the key down. Oh, I, I can't that. even hear that. Yeah, I love that sound. Hold on. <laughs> I do. I, I I'm I'm the opposite of that, right? I don't like the 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 sound of that. Do you have Do you have nails? Emily? Yeah, yeah. So I I if I let them grow out, I get you know the clicking from that. And if I happen to when Mark used to have his gaming computer or his gaming keyboard out more, I'd have like the double click and I'd just sit there and be like, oh, just tell me words to type, you know, just. Oh. <laughs> it's soothing, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I think, no, I think for some in, in the kids, you know, this, this keyboard that I have, this is Tim, this is to my Tim, my Marine. This is his keyboard and it's a razor, I think. Um, it's a Razor Black Widow Stealth Edition. Why, why you would name it Stealth? <laughs> it's anything but Stealth, right? But that's what they call it. He got another one, and that was even louder, I think, than this one, right? And so he left it home when he took his when he took his clickety clack. I always say that clickety clack, and then I launch into that song. Don't come back. Take out <laughs> the papers in the trash. Yeah, I don't um, think there's an official name for that clicky sound. That's it's really just. Oh, to get like on official things to get that clicky sound. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we call it well, clickety clack. That's kind of what yeah. I. <laughs> that's kind of what I've heard a lot of people um, call it. I couldn't imagine working in a software area now and here if everybody had mechanical keyboards. I couldn't imagine that working very long. I don't oh my know. gosh, I love it so much. <laughs> you work? Um, do you work from home? Or no, you, not really. No. You go into the office? Yeah. 
So do you guys, is it loud in there? Is that because you're all writing all the time, right? Is it pretty loud? Oh, Most um, not really. You know, it's at a, we're in an office with maybe, I don't know, 20 people. You could probably hear them and maybe only four are typing at a time. So it's not really annoying. It gets annoying. I have one coworker who does something repetitively where you hear the same pattern of keys like, and I'm like, no, no. I got to get up. I got to walk around. It's, but the randomness is nice. <laughs> yeah. We, we have, I was mentioned in pre-show. I had uh, I worked in a place, worked in a bank and I had a fan in the HVAC that sounded when it would come on, it would sound like somebody was typing. And I, I swore it was my boss. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I, you know, I'd be there late sometimes and I hear. And I would think, what is she doing here? <laughs> walk over that nobody there. I, it took me a bunch of times to figure out. Oh, that's the HVAC that's on. Um, so I like it quiet. That's kind of my thing. When the kids did it, um, you know, they could play it, but they really the gamers really really like that for I yeah. think the responsiveness of it. Yeah. And then I mean, how much of it do you think is just because everybody's doing it? I I don't know because I. I you know, when Mark got his keyboard and he showed it to me, he's like, look what it does. And I'm like, oh, you like that clickety-clack too? Oh, my God, we're soulmates. You know, this is before we were married. So in my head, I was like, this is a sign. I need to marry this guy. He likes a clicky keyboard. This is great. This is what I want to live with the rest of my life. I'm marrying him for his keyboard. <laughs> likes the clickety-clack. It's a sign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Drush was talking about his uh, Cherry MX Brown. And that's one of the things on here. There are different colors, if you can see, underneath the keys. So you know what you're getting. So the brown one is the second from the left over here. So it's not as clicky as the outside green and blue ones. It's a little quieter. Play the outside, play the inside, play the outside. Play the, uh, the inside, very quiet. Can't really hear it. Uh, the blue and the green ones, those are the clicky ones. Oh, yeah. And they sound the same. They just feel a little bit different. There's more give to the green one. But yeah, having this, I mean, this is like, uh, I think I mentioned before the show, we're still waiting on our fidget cubes from Kickstarter. They're taking forever to get here. But this is like my favorite replacement at this point is just, you know, I got it in the mail and Mark's like, I want to play with it. I know you got it for your show, but I want to take it out and play with it. So, <laughs> Do you, first of all, you bought that on Amazon. How much was it? Uh, 16. Oh. 16, compared to like a $200 keyboard that, yeah. And I mean, cool. I didn't even know they have those. Yeah. So what's it called really, again if someone was interested in, in buying one of those? Uh, this is a Cherry MX Switch Tester. <laughs> so I'll hold it up and, you know. So do you find yourself just picking it up, just holding it and kind of touching the different keys? Yeah. I mean, it, it's actually, I'm probably going to keep it down here for when I'm recording and I need to fidget with something. Probably going to keep it down. Put it down in my lap. That's what I was doing for the first part was just, and for the rest of it, I'm like, oh, this is great. I have something to do with my hands. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, what I, that's funny. You know what I do for a fidget? So see these pens, right? Mm -hmm. I have hundreds of these pens at my desk and this one, not this one, cause it's metal, but all of them that have the plastic piece right here. See this little, this little yep. Click it. So I just, yeah, I'll be sitting here and I just, I just, <laughs> I take my fingers like this and do this. And eventually I wear this thing out and it snaps. Yeah. <laughs> in my podcasting office at Gallup, I literally have a cup like this full of pens that don't have any more. Oh, no. <laughs> I've broken them all off. In a day, I break them, right? And then 
know, it's like, but you're right. I, even as I'm podcasting, I'll fidget with this pen. You know, there's a, see, there's a little, uh, yeah. you know, like a little thing. I like to squeeze that. I like that. No, I'll, I'll click this from time to time. I've clicked this so much. I've broken these where they just, they go <laughs> flying off. <laughs> yeah. So I, we put the pen to the test. We ordered, well, I ordered fidget cubes for Christmas. They were supposed to come in December, but it got so popular that they couldn't do it. So we ended up getting fake ones because my husband and I are just like, oh my God, we want these so badly. So we got a fake one um, for anyone who doesn't know what a fidget cube is. There's a little switch on top. You can switch back and forth. There's, um, you know, a little toggle. Yeah, it's like thing. almost uh, on an Xbox controller, yep. the, the circle thing, yeah. Yeah, there's a ball you can roll, little tactile gears and buttons. Three of them actually click like a pen. Two of them are quiet. And then there's just the touch zone that you can just rub. Uh, I think I got all the sides. But yeah, the clicky ones. There are certain ones I can't use at work. Like I can't click the little ball. It's kind of loud. Or the clicky buttons. But, you know, I will sit there at work and kind of play with it while I'm reading. Oh, I can't use the switch. But... You learn how to do it quietly too. You kind of learn how to quietly flick the switch. Kind of just flip it and then flip it back and then. Yeah, and it's funny. My daughter, I let her play with it. She's like, "But what does it do?" And I'm like, "That's it." And she's like, "Why?" I'm like, "No, you don't understand. Like, this is just what adults do. We fidget. We <laughs> we need something to do." And she's just like, "Meh. It doesn't do anything. She's not interested." That's so funny. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, you don't really think about it. I think most of us probably have those kind of devices, those gadget devices of some kind that we mess around with to kind of keep us busy. I'll admit, maybe even my phone has become a fidget device. Oh, I mean, yeah. Often, like you're standing there and you're like, oh, pull the phone out. I mean, I'm obsessed <laughs> with something. And it's and it's not, you know, you're mm -hmm, delete. Mm -hmm. Have you ever closed an app and then opened it right back up because your thumb goes to it? Like I've closed, I'm like, oh, there's nothing good on Facebook. Let me close it. As soon as it closes, I'm like, oh, what's on Facebook? I'm like, it's like a goldfish response of like, oh, ooh, Facebook. <laughs> just there. Honestly, I wasn't, oh, I was just there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting. I that's a great that's a great, so the 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 real cube, the real fidget, what is that what they call it? Fidget cube? Fidget cube, yeah. It was available on Kickstarter. No, was it a Kickstarter? It no. was a Kickstarter, yeah. It was a Kickstarter. I think they're still taking orders, but I'm I was supposed to get it in December and then they're like, "Oh, there's there's a problem with it. We want you to get a good project, a good product." Problems so, with something like that. It's, there's no electronics in there. I know. They're like, "Oh, there's something if you use it too much that'll break." And I'm like, "I'm going to break it anyway. Just send me That's why I ordered more than one." But <laughs> like, of course it's going to break. I'm going to do it a million times. Yeah, so then the early backers, I was one of the early backers back in September. And I was supposed to get it in December. Then they were like, all right, well, now we're shipping it. Everybody who is an early backer is going to get in January. Still haven't gotten it yet. They're convinced that the people who are ordered for the March shipment, they're going to get theirs on time. And at this point, everybody is just like, we haven't heard anything. We've seen a few videos of unboxing, but you know, they haven't been very forward with their emails too. They used to be like one a week and now they're like, Okay, guys, just letting you know they're still going out. And I'm like, we so we gave up. We got a fake one on Amazon. And, you know, it's kind of subpar. You could tell it's going to break pretty soon. So hopefully, you know, the, the extra money on the real one is worth it. How, how much for that one? 
for this one, I think it was, uh, Mark, if you're in the chat room, let me know, because I think it was 10 or 11. That's not too bad. I see his name yeah. out. And then uh, the the Kickstarter one, how much was that one? That one was 15. But if you bought more than one, which I did, I bought them for gifts. And yeah. like, so I have people waiting. I'm like, I know. I swear I got you a Christmas present, you know? It is this. Here is the receipt. Here, you know, I had them pick out their colors that they wanted. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be the best Christmas. <laughs> Mark says 10. Yeah, they, 10 bucks. Yeah. 10 bucks on Amazon with Amazon Prime. So That's good for me. I didn't know we had, you know, that we had fidget kind of things out there. You know, I've seen the little squishy balls and some yeah. things, but but yeah. I I'm I'm a guy. I'm I'm like you. Like if I'm sitting around and there's something to click, mm -hmm. I literally click that thing until someone comes over and punches me. <laughs> yeah, now they have um they have another thing on Kickstarter, I think, for pens. It's an attachment for your pen. And it's kind of a wire spring type thing with a, a magnet ball at the end. You just kind of flick back and forth kind of. So when you were talking about your little thing, I'm like, oh, my God, that's perfect for Jim. <laughs> right. That's right. I, it's, it's, I have all I have is broken pens. <laughs> that's, maybe that's an anomaly for or that's a, a, a something for my life, right? I just have a bunch of broken pens. Oh, well. Well, Emily, thanks for, uh, for jumping in. We, we took an hour and 15 pretty fast. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of thought we would from that standpoint. Um, hey, before we go, does your mom ever, con do you, first of all, is your mom still with us? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you ever comment on your Facebook stuff? No, my mom. Okay. I made a Facebook for her and she won't go on it. She doesn't, she doesn't like it. She's like, it goes too fast. And I'm like, okay. My dad does sometimes, but my dad and I are kind of, since the election, we kind of had to block each other. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, that's probably just, a good thing. yeah, just so we could stay on talking terms for holidays and stuff. It's like, no, I don't want to see what you post. I don't want to see what you post. So, <laughs> well, my mom is funny because I got posts. She's always hijacking posts. So <laughs> somebody will post something about me or whatever, and then she'll say, "Jim, my computer's not working." <laughs> so tonight. Tonight, you had mentioned in pre-show, there's a picture of me out there that my son, my oldest son, had posted him in football and me in football. And that's like 1982, by the way, that I'm out there. And man, I was skinny back in those days. I kind of wish, don't you? I kind of wish I could go back to those high school days. Uh, oh, the metabolism back then. I could just think about the word diet and I would, you know, lose weight. Yeah. No, right on. I didn't even have to try. In fact, I was trying to put on weight at one point. And, you know, you're trying to put it on, you never can. And then you try, and then you get older and you're like, oh, my God, I got to get rid of some of this. But, of course, my mom makes some comments on the on the post as well. It's great to have a mom who does not quite fully understand Facebook etiquette. And uh, and my my coworkers just laugh at me. They think that's the funniest thing ever. Uh -huh. Hey, Doris is out there. You know, like, oh, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> Well, Emily, we'll, we'll remind folks if you want to listen to the story behind podcast. It's the story behind dot com. Is that right? Or how, what's the story behind podcast.com? Yeah, story behind po podcast.com. It's out there. Just Google it. That's the easiest way to find it. You yeah. should do it literally, but twice a week, seven or eight minutes each, something like that. Yeah, twice a week. The ones for Forrest Gump February have been longer because I just, ugh, these topics are so good. <laughs> they are really good. And I, I'm a big, I am a big Forrest Gump fan. And uh, it's like Shawshank, right? Those. Yes. 
exactly like Shawshank. That's what I always say. You know, it's the movie. If you see it on TV, you'll stop and watch it. But you don't necessarily want to go to your DVDs and put it in, you know. But if it's on TV, it's like, yeah, there's there's the next three hours of my life. You could stream it from yeah. your, from Netflix or whatever, and yet you it's on AMC, and yep. you watch it, and you end up watching the commercials, which are terrible. I know, I know. They they know. I think it came on at, at Christmas or Thanksgiving, and I was just like, oh, Forrest Gump is on. Yep, this is what I'm doing. Josh Shank was on the other day, uh, beginning of the movie. Very very well, not quite the beginning. He was already in prison, but. The, the pretty close and it was in the gym i'm like oh shawshank's on so you start watching it you know and yeah think, uh force gump is a, maybe you should do a shawshank uh there's probably a few things in shawshank you could you could do from a story behind yeah libraries and prisons those kinds of things so emily thanks for coming on tonight hang tight with me we'll do a little bit of the post show as we go i just yeah. remind everyone to take advantage of the well, if you want to support the show, take advantage of the Patreon link that's out there, one in five dollar plans. If you want to do it, we, you know, there's a few of you out there supporting us. I should probably at some point read those names because that's what I promised I would do. So let's just do we'll do Patreon, the average guy. If you if you want to go to you can go patreon.com slash the average guy. That will get you out there as well. Or that link. Although I just went to it and it says five oh three service unavailable. So I wonder <laughs> I wonder, you know, kind of makes me wonder, did Patreon shut down? Or are they still working? Do you know, Emily? You do have to update um, one thing with Patreon. I forget what it is. It'll tell you when you go. It's like, oh, we've updated this to your terms of service. Oh, so maybe I've, I've got to go to the account and sign in. Well, for those of you who are supporting, there's a few of you out there. I appreciate you doing that. We'll, we'll read those off in the next uh, in the next uh, podcast that we do. You can uh, head out to theaverageguy.tv slash support as well. Although I should probably check and make sure that link is working. If you want to send me an email, and many of you do, contact the show. Give us some feedback. Uh, I mean, I, I like this format with Emily, so maybe we'll get her past uh, uh, the the baby, and then have you back on maybe later in the fall to do another version of it. We'll get better at it as we as we do it. Uh, send me an email, Jim at theaverageguy.tv. Of course, theaverageguy.tv platform, both web and media hosting, powered by Maple Grove Partners. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from folks that you know and trust. Christian just did a bunch of upgrades over there at Maple Grove Partners. And uh, a ton of it's super fast. So maplegrovepartners.com. Plans start as inexpensive as 10 bucks. By the way, this Saturday, I think 2 p.m. Central, Christian and I are going to record uh, another, um, what do we call it thing? Cyber Frontiers. So if you want to jump out, we'll follow the Twitter, at Jay Collison, and we'll all tweet as we get closer. I guess we are pretty close to the weekend, aren't we? It's Thursday. So on Saturday, he and I, well, he's got an author coming on, and uh, we're going to be talking about cybersecurity. So good stuff. I want to thank Roger out at WLMN Radio. Of course, they broadcast us live on Trustful Radio out there. Uh, Roger, thanks for doing that as well. And don't forget to download the app. Uh, that's available out there, homegadgetgeeks.com to get to the app. Again, best way to listen to streaming. I want to thank LastPass for their continued sponsorship of what we do here at Home Gadget Geeks. Always good, always fun, always great to be out here. If you're not busy on Saturday morning, uh, 9.30 Central, Emily's out there with me, uh, but Dave Jackson and myself at Ask the Podcast Coach, if you want to talk about or hear about podcasting topics, you can join us out there over at Ask the Podcast Coach dot com slash live i think that gets you there i just yep. show up on saturdays so it's well no matter where he is because he's trying different apps now so that's basically the link i go to all the time yeah, me too me too <laughs> i think we're in we're using zoom uh at the yeah. moment try some things out so you can join us there on saturday mornings we are live every thursday 8 p.m central 9 eastern out here at the average guy dot tv slash live a couple names you might recognize coming up over the next two weeks john zadler 
Paul Byrne, a couple of old faithfuls that will be out, and uh, they are coming on to uh, to join us, and so we'll catch up with them as well. Emily will get you scheduled out in the fall to come on back, and we'll do another one of these. Um, it was fun. I enjoyed doing it. The research was half the fun, learning all these. In pre-show, we talked a little bit about now you're like a you're like a nerd in these areas, right? Oh, and so oh, you're such a nerd. so bad. Dinner parties you go to, you're like, hey, you want to hear about a keyboard? I know. I think that's why I'm not invited places anymore. Is they're like, oh gosh, she's gonna come and we're gonna serve yams and she's gonna tell us that they're not really yams. They're actually sweet potatoes. No, let's not invite Emily. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> always a treat at a dinner party. And, uh, <laughs> uh, me too. I always, hey, you want to hear the story? And I go. <laughs> Not another story. So, uh, but our stories, 8 p.m. Central, 9 East Gen, here at the Arch Guy. TV slash live. And with that, we'll say good night, everybody. Good night.